For the past two weeks, we've looked at women's roles in church, as addressed by the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 2. On Sunday mornings, we are going through the book of 1 Timothy. And like I mentioned before, I've kind of got anchored here on chapter 2 because I see the great onslaught of culture seeking to destroy women and their dignity as image bearers. I told Mary Kay this morning the sermon is a little bit different than what I typically will do, spending about five minutes in an introduction and then spending the rest of the time exegeting the text. What you'll see, and I hope it's acceptable, is that we're going to spend about 20 or 25 minutes on the introduction, and then I'll spend the remainder of the time exegeting the text, the text that we We'll read in just a moment. Today I'm going to look at 1 Peter and the Gospels. 1 Peter is kind of a complementary text to the, to the text in 1 Timothy 2. I'm going to focus rather than on the roles of women, I'm going to focus on God's great love for women. It sounds strange that you would need to even preach a sermon on God's love for women. And yet that's where I am. That's where I believe God has led me this morning. This means young women and old women, single women, married women, divorced women, widows, grandmothers, little girls. You are all going to be addressed in the sermon. And men, you need to be listening as well because you probably have faulty understanding of what it means to be a woman and how you should treat women in general. We're going to see that God shows great love and value and dignity of women in Scripture, hopefully in a way that you have not seen or considered before. The text is 1 Peter chapter 2, 21 through chapter 3, verse 7. 1 Peter 2, 21 through 3, verse 7. Would you please stand for the reading of God's holy, inspired word? These scriptures were preserved throughout the centuries, throughout the millennium for you this morning by the Holy Spirit. Starting in verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. 
For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Amen. Please be seated. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, Triune God, we come to you. We pray that your spirit would enliven our souls, would open our eyes, would change our hearts, that we would hear and understand your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This week I was uh, helping care for my elderly grandfather. He lives just down the road from me a bit. Uh, And he turned on a movie that I hadn't seen in many years uh, called McClintock, an old John Wayne movie. I love, I'm convinced more and more that the best movies were all made before I was born. But McClintock, I watched it and it's about a man who lives out in the West. His wife had left him, but then she came back. They were still married. And when she walked into the house, everything changed. She started giving orders and directing the affairs of the house And John Wayne was questioned by one of his hired hands why he was letting his wife ramrod the house. And he said, this isn't my house. This is her house. It's Maureen O'Hara. And you see the same thing in the movie The Quiet Man. There was a very, my point is, just 30, 40 years ago, women and men knew that there was a difference in, in distinctions and roles And one of those being a very biblical part of a woman's role is running the home. We saw that in Proverbs 31, didn't we? Do you see a a woman who's, who's filled with strength and how she runs her business at home? The man's the head of the family, sure, but he lives in the house with his wife kind of running things. Men, we just know that this is right. If you're married, you kind of know that this is right. And yet, Hollywood even knew it was right 40 or 50 years ago. Well, today we're going to talk about just one aspect of what I've already mentioned, and that's the great dignity and strength and value God places in women. It's imperishable beauty, is the way Peter describes it. How am I going to do this? Well, like I said, this is all part of introduction, but I'm going to make four points of introduction and then we're going to go through the text. We're going to look at how Jesus treats women. Because Jesus exegetes the Father, is what John tells us. That means He shows us the Father. So if you want to know what God thinks about anything, look at Jesus. And as much as we can through the Scriptures, we will do that as we look at God's value of women. We're going to look at how Christ treated single women. We're going to look at how he treated women as people rather than objects. We're going to look at how he ministered to women. And finally, we're going to look at how women were important to his ministry. Again, I said this was a a bit of a departure for me to have so many points of introduction Yet here we go. I want, first of all, to address 
single women, whether you're here or listening, the single woman is specifically the point of this first point, which is a difficult thing, I believe, for personal, for many women, you struggle as single women, thinking that somehow you are less than and that that's somehow not fulfilling. Jesus dealt with single women all through his ministry. He treated them as people with value and dignity. Indeed, there was no shame in God's kingdom. When questioned about marriage in heaven, Jesus made clear in Mark chapter 12 that there is no marriage in heaven. Surprise, surprise. We're all going to be single in heaven. You're not incomplete before you're married. You have an important mission to accomplish in Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you in that. You are not less important. And your duties are not less important than the duties of a married woman. John Piper wrote that marriage is not the eternal destiny of every human being. Serving God to the glory of God is the final destiny of every human being. Jesus Christ, remember, was the most fully human person who ever walked on the earth. Fully human. And he was single. The Bible also, in 1 Corinthians 7, celebrates celibacy, the gift of singleness. Why? Paul was single. The greatest apostle, arguably, was single. Why? Why was that important to him? Because he could invest everything in ministry. Many Christians have been used mightily as single men and women for the sake of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9 says as much. And finally, remember that God is sovereign over who gets married and who doesn't get married. Yes, he uses second causes. That's our wills, our minds, our emotions, the circumstances. And yet, God is sovereign. And you know what? He's a good God. He's faithful. And he's trustworthy. Like everyone, single people need to fix their eyes on Jesus Christ. But there is, I believe, a special grace given to unmarried women In every church, there's a special mission there. And this continues all over the world for women. So don't waste it. If you find yourself single now, whether it's by divorce, by the death of your husband, or you just have never been married, use this time in your life well to the glory of God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. He will direct your paths. God loves single women. But Jesus loved and honored all women as image bearers. This was countercultural in the first century. Absolutely countercultural. You cannot miss that. He restored to the value and dignity of women, to ministry, something that had been lost. It was always God's design as an image bearer, a co-equal, spiritual, spiritually co-equal image bearer. When we want to see God's high value of women, we need to look no farther than the life of Jesus Christ. 
He recognized role distinctions. Yes, we do as well, as we studied in 1 Timothy. We don't permit in this church or in a Christian church, nor should anyone permit a woman to have authority over a man or to be teaching men, preaching to men. This much is clear. And yet the role distinctions have nothing to do with value, have nothing to do with dignity or strength of personhood. Jesus showed us this. He treated women with a godly dignity that the first century culture was shocked by. Why do I say that? In the time of Christ, women really were second-class citizens in every sense of the word. This is well documented. And even all through Scripture, we see women treated and mistreated, treated inappropriately, depersonalized. Yet this was not God's design, but rather a result of the fall. What we see in Jesus in his treatment of women is that women are image bearers. They bear the image of the Holy God, just as men do. So let's look at the second point. When you look at how Jesus treated women, he treated them like people. David Borland, Dr. David Borland, makes some helpful points. I'll be discussing some of them. First of all, he treats them as persons, as people, as image bearers. They were valuable to Christ, not as objects, but as people. He quotes the book of Genesis. He's in a theological debate with the leaders, the religious leaders of the land, and he quotes Genesis in Matthew 19.4. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? He says God created man and woman, image bearers, from the very beginning. The primary lens when Jesus interacted with a woman wasn't their their femininity, their sex. It was just their relationship with God, their personhood. Not their age, their marital status, or anything else. So let's look at the dignity with which he addresses women in the Gospels, how he treats them as people. I think first of all, and kind of most knowingly for me, well, let me just preface by saying Jesus knew who all of his, his ancestors were. He knew them all, including the ones written down in the book of Matthew as, and in Luke as ancestors of him. And some women are mentioned, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba. He knew that these people were in his bloodline. These were women who were neglected and abused. And even in his ministry, he spoke to women who had been abused, who were objectified. Tamar. Tamar was a mistreated woman. She was mistreated by Judah, her father-in-law. She did some despicable things with her father-in-law. But in the end, she is declared righteous by Judah. Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. And imagine all the brokenness that goes with that. Ruth was a Moabitess. She lost her husband. 
And in Jewish culture, as a Moabitess, whose husband, whose Jewish husband is dead, she was at the very bottom of everything, the bottom of the bottom of societal value. And then we have Bathsheba, probably raped by David. So you can understand Jesus' great compassion for women who were abused, who were mistreated. We see this through the Scriptures, through the Gospels. He didn't treat women as objects to be owned or touched or used and discarded. John chapter 8, the people who hated him, the religious leaders, wanted to trap him, so they brought him a woman caught in adultery, probably a prostitute. Jesus writes in the sand. We don't know what he's writing. But whatever he writes, everyone leaves except the woman. He says, where are your accusers? Who condemns you? She said, no one, Lord. He says, neither do I. Now go and sin no more. So if you put yourself into the shoes of that woman, imagine the brokenness. Imagine the pain. Imagine the shame and then feel the love of the Savior. What he did was absolutely forbidden and countercultural. Embracing, spiritually embracing this woman, calling her to himself publicly as a woman who should be stoned. He accepted her. We also see him talking to widows and valuing widows, those who have lost their husbands. A widow actually welcomes him into the world. Remember when he's just a few days old, Anna, the prophetess, in the temple as a widow for some 50 years. Sick women. Women in all situations, and Jesus publicly values them and treats them as people. That's the love of our Savior for humanity, for women. We also see honor and dignity ascribed to women and just how he speaks to them. In Luke 13, 16, he talks of a woman who is oppressed as a daughter of Abraham. So don't miss what he's doing. The covenant promises of Abraham, he's applying them to this woman. He's saying, you think you're a son of Abraham and all the promises of Abraham are for you. This woman is a daughter of Abraham. The promises of Abraham are for her as well. The rabbis were not saying this. The religious leaders were not saying this. And yet he's restoring what was God's intent from the very beginning. Full spiritual covenantal status as daughters of the high king. That's what you are if you have faith in Christ, ladies. And look how honestly he speaks to women. It's not that he holds them up as trophies, but doesn't speak to them honestly about sin. The woman we spoke of earlier, he said, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. You have faith, but now you have to repent as well. He treated her as an image bearer who needed repentance and faith, as we all do. Engaging women as people was part of his ministry. Seeking and saving, teaching and reaching women as well as men. So make no mistake, 
What you see in Jesus reflects the heart of the Father. He shows us the Father. And as Jesus loved and honored women, the Father honors and loves women. The Son honors and loves women. The Holy Spirit honors and loves women. The triune God puts high value on every one of you ladies as image bearers. Equal in worth and dignity, talents and value, just as equal as men as a person created by God. Thirdly, let's look at women. Jesus' ministry to women. He ministered not just to men. He ministered to women. So this, again, is probably lost on most of us. We read the Gospels so regularly, so frequently. And in our culture where women are raised above what they were in the first century, for sure, you might not see how countercultural it is, but Jesus spent ministry time, just as much it would seem, ministering to women as he did to men. The rabbis did not do this. The Jewish leaders did not do this. And yet Jesus did. He did not come to save only men. He came to save women as well. His miracles, his teaching, his time, all focus on women as well as men. He had concern for grieving mothers. He ministered to old widows. He ministered to adulterers, to the abused, the broken in society. Those who were physically ailing, he ministered to women who were single. Women who were bent over for 18 years. That reminds me of one of my favorite accounts in the Gospels of the woman who had been bent over. She had some sort of back issue, we don't know exactly. Maybe scoliosis, maybe something like that. For 18 years, she could not stand up straight. Besides being a woman in the first century, she was easily recognized and shamed for her um, physical ailment as well. And on the Sabbath and publicly, Jesus heals her. In the face of the hypocritical and hostile Pharisees, he heals her. Remember the bleeding woman for 12 years? It's another example. She had been bleeding for 12 years. She could not stop bleeding. She had spent all her money trying to find someone who would help her stop bleeding. Nothing. Now, if you know the law, which I know many of you do, if you touched anyone who was bleeding, you were unclean. What does this mean for her? No one touches her, and she should not touch anyone else. And yet she comes up and she touches Jesus and is healed instantly. What would the rabbis have done? Woman, you touched me. Now I'm unclean. Away from me. What did Jesus do? He lifted her up. He called her a daughter. Rich or poor, Jesus ministered to women. He healed them body and soul just as he did men. He was also very concerned for their spiritual growth. You remember in John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman whom he led to salvation? A Samaritan. Now he says over and over again that he came first for the Jews, then for the Gentiles. And yet in John chapter 4, Jesus goes out of his way He had to pass through Samaria, is what the Scripture says. Did he have to? Actually, no. You're taking it the wrong way if you think it says he had to go there because he had no other way to go. Actually, the Jews never went that way. Jews never went into Samaria, ever. 
He had to go that way compelled by the Holy Spirit. He went that way. And he met this woman at the well. He went out of his way to talk to her. To talk to her. A sinful, adulterous woman. A Samaritan woman. And this is in contrast to John chapter 3. Remember, this is the the contrast that John is showing. John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus. When? At night. He's afraid. He asks him questions and Jesus tells him, you don't even understand this. You don't understand that you must be born again. That the Spirit must make you alive before you can see clearly the kingdom of God. And then in John chapter 4, he goes and he ministers life to this woman. He spoke to a woman. That's the first significant point. He spoke to a woman. He spoke to a Samaritan woman who was an adulteress. But most importantly, he taught her truth, spiritual truth. That she should worship in spirit and in truth. He actually proclaims to her something that we still value. A truth that we needed to hear. He gave this woman an uncommon dignity as he did every woman in his life. He used them in illustrations over and over and over again. The rabbis did not do this. Unless it was something negative. He used them in illustrations in his teaching. The queen of the south is honored in his teaching. The kingdom of heaven is like a woman who worked yeast into dough. When Christ comes back, he said women would be about their daily tasks. One would be taken, one would be left. Talks of the ten virgins in a parable that tells us to be ready for his coming. Talks of the widow's persistence before a corrupt judge to remind us to pray. The rabbis weren't doing this. They didn't mention women. He invested a great deal of energy and time in teaching specific women the truths of the gospel. You remember Mary and Martha? They're single women. He sat down and taught them as a rabbi teaching disciples. They were some of his best friends, it would seem. So when it comes to Jesus' ministry on earth, it was focused not on men, not on women, but on people. Image bearers, valuable, dignity, worth, value, strength as image bearers. And that included women because God loves and values women. Fourthly, fourth point of introduction. Jesus and women, when we look at that, we see that women were, I would say, critical in his life and ministry. You might question that initially, but let me get to the point. Many women worked behind the scenes to make his ministry possible. Men and women have different roles. We don't know exactly what he expected of a woman that was helping his ministry, but we see what they did. Luke chapter 8, verse 2 and 3, we see that some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses, Mary, who was called Magdalene, for seven demons had come out of her, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's servant, Susanna, and many others were contributing to the support of Jesus' ministry out of their private means. So what you can probably envision is Jesus and the disciples not worrying about anything but ministry and this 
this army of women behind them, providing for them out of their own means. And these were courageous ladies. The same women who were at the cross when the disciples had all fled. The same women who followed the soldiers and Nicodemus and watched where he was buried. The same women were the first to see the resurrected Lord. Not only did they make ministry possible with their efforts, their works, their sacrifices, but we know more about the gospel and the death and resurrection of Christ because they were there and did not run. But I want to emphasize this point most importantly with the role of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Great honor was given her by Jesus as his mother, but as a woman who is a person made in the image of God. Think about it. She was the only person on the face of the earth and will be till the very end of the age who has a firsthand account of exactly where Jesus came from. The Holy Spirit overshadowed her, not Joseph. And Jesus came to being in her womb. Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of Jim Elliot, who was killed in South America. Elizabeth Elliot writes this. I found it very powerful. The gospel story begins with the mystery of charity. A young woman is visited by an angel given a stunning piece of news about becoming the mother of the Son of God, unlike Eve whose response to God was calculating and self-serving, the Virgin Mary's answer holds no hesitation about risks or losses or interruption of her own plans. It is an utter and unconditional self-giving. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said, This is what I understand to be the essence of femininity. Surrender. Think of the bride. She surrenders her independence, her name, her destiny, her will, herself to the bridegroom in marriage. This is a public ceremony before God and witnesses. Then in the marriage chamber, she surrenders her body, her priceless gift of virginity, all that has been hidden As a mother, she makes a new surrender. It is her life for her life. It is her life for the life of her children. This is most profoundly what women were made for, married or single, and the special vocation of the virgin is to surrender herself for the service to her Lord and the life and for the life of the world. The gentle and quiet spirit of which Peter speaks, calling it of great worth in God's sight, is the true femininity, which found its epitome in Mary, the willingness to be only a vessel, hidden, unknown, except as someone's mother. It's powerful. And all this surrender, which I think shines forth in Mary's life, is also holiness and honor, glory and beauty, completely different from Joseph, her husband, We would never say Joseph was beautiful. And yet all this was ordained by God. Mary gave up all her ambitions for the will of God. She gave up her life 
for God. And she signs, I think, as the brightest example of what it means to truly be a godly woman. And she was most highly honored among women. This dignity and honor of a woman as an image bearer was on display in Mary for the whole world to see. So application from these introductory points. For women and for men, the way to fulfillment and flourishing, as we talked about last Sunday night, is found in nothing else but Jesus Christ and his righteousness. In humility and obedience to God. The world will tell you that women are only valuable. Ladies, you're only valuable if you assert yourself. You press forward. You get after life. You do this thing. God shows forth the honor and dignity of women and the reflection of submission of the Son to the Father. When Paul talks about what it means to submit... He talks about the Father and the Son and their relationship. Jesus shows forth the great dignity and the worth and the honor of submission to authority. So let's look at the text, finally, right? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For to this you have been called, who? All of us, all the church have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Christ is our example. Women, when you think of submission to authority, you think of Christ. Why? So that you might follow in his steps. That's verse 21. All of us in every sphere that God has placed you in, whatever your duty is on earth, you follow in the steps of Christ. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. If I were a woman, that's what I would be concerned about. I'm submitting to authority, but this is a sinful man. This is a sinful system. It's whatever you, would, you might be tempted to think. Like Christ, you can take hope and comfort in that. You entrust yourself to God when you submit to authority. Just as Christ did. We're still talking about Jesus. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He is our example for all Christians and ladies. He's your example as well. When you submit to the authority that's placed over you by God, you're dying to yourself as Mary did. You're living for God and honoring the man that you're married to. You're honoring your father. You're honoring your, your spiritual leadership at church. You're entrusting yourself to God who judges justly. In other words, God will watch over you. He will care for you. He did all this in verse 24 that we might die to sin and live to righteousness because by his wounds we have been healed. He's talking of the fall. The fall wounded humanity. And by Christ and his sacrifice, we are beginning to be healed as humanity. We can treat each other with dignity, with respect in the roles that he's given us. Ladies, you are highly honored, not because of your achievements, but because of Christ in you, the hope of glory. So let me conclude with the text. Imperishable beauty. That's the way Peter describes a woman. 
With all that I've said as context and Christ's great love, God's great love for women, single women, widowed women, divorced women, women who are hurt, who are broken, women who are just distressed by life, abused and mistreated. Now let's look at the text. And remember 1 Timothy 2, which says something very similar. It's for all women, not just wives. But he says, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your husbands. How can you do this? Because you entrust yourself to him who judges justly. Remember, this passage comes right after the passage about Christ sacrificing his life. It's powerful. It's powerful gospel ministry. That's what Paul says. So that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. Just doing what God has ordained for you to do is powerful for gospel ministry. Verse 2, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles or the wearing of gold or fine clothing. That's the worldly view of womanhood. No, but rather it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is great worth in God's sight. You remember in Proverbs 31, he also said that women would be clothed They are physically clothed well because they're diligent in their work, but they're also clothed with strength, with dignity. Clothed with the inner beauty of your inner self. In other words, the Holy Spirit working through you to produce fruit. And he calls this the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Gentleness, submission to authority, these are fruits of the Holy Spirit. Impossible without God. Peter says this is of great worth in God's sight. That's chapter 3, verse 4. This is of great worth. Look at verse 6. He says, you are Sarah's daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. So I would say, ladies, don't give way to fear when you think of your position in the world. It's very valuable. It's very worthwhile. It's very powerful for gospel ministry to do what God has called you to do. Whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're widowed, whether you're divorced, be a woman who is courageous. All of us serve God in this world with courage or cowardice. Those are two options. There's nothing in the middle. You're courageous for God or you're a coward for God. The women we've discussed proved courageous and tenacious in their faith. And they encourage us. So ladies, don't grow bitter at the role God has given you, especially with the onslaught of the world telling you that everything the Scripture says is wrong. And that's what the world says. Everything that you hear about being a woman in Scripture is wrong. It's oppressive. Rather, be inspired by Christ, who's your example of submission. He submitted to the Father and to death. So glorify God. Enjoy Him 
in whatever is your vocation. You're valuable not because of your income, your education, your independence. You're valuable because you were made in God's image for the love of God and obedience to his word. And when you pursue God in this way, everything falls into place. Everything. Do everything for the glory of God with Christ at the center. This is imperishably beautiful. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you as men and women, as men and women who are image bearers, as men and women who are broken, in need of the gospel. We are all sinners. We are all so dark in our sin that without Jesus Christ breaking through the darkness, we will never be able to live as you would have us live. Not only that, we will never approach you without expecting your wrath and your judgment upon us because we are all, all thoroughly wicked and depraved. For each one here who does not yet know you, Lord, I pray that you would break through hard hearts, that you would cause us to recognize our own sin, our own misery apart from you. That we would know that wrath is upon us and that we have an eternal destiny of hell apart from Jesus Christ. This man who came to earth to give great dignity to women also came to earth to save souls. He came as a humble servant, as a slave for all. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we pray that your your gospel would penetrate our hearts that you would save and regenerate us, that you would enable us to live for you, to your glory, and that you would show every woman here in this room that you value and honor and love and cherish them as image bearers, as you do all people. In Jesus' name, amen.